So continuing in the book of Joshua is really the continuation of Deuteronomy, and it's chronologically in the timeline of humanity comes next for the Israelites. So we're still around 1500 BC and the nation of Israel, the next generation that's been counted, they're now going into the promised land. And in the early part of Joshua, God's still got them on the east side of the Jordan River. Moses has stepped into eternity and God's preparing them for going into all the promises, that next generation, the one that was under 20 when they came out of Egypt some 40 years before. And so we saw last week that God promised Joshua he'd be with them, that he's the new leader, God's got his back, just stick to the word of God and you'll be good. And then Joshua sent out the two spies, unlike Moses who sent out 12 spies 30, 40 years before, Joshua sent out two, they ended up at the house of Rahab, we studied her faith last week, and then they came back with a good report, everything's looking good, God has gone before them, he's put the fear of Israel in the hearts of the people of the, the promised land. And that's where we left off. So chapter 3, verse 1 reads this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Acacia Grove, and came to the Jordan, that is the Jordan River, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So this is our opening to this chapter, and there's great insight and application for us. So much of Joshua early on has just a lot of good different topics that we can look at and consider with new adventures, new beginnings, new seasons of life, and we get all that in this book overall, and so we get some of that here right now. So Joshua's up early in the morning. He says he got up early in the morning and after three days. So these are tightly compacted events that we're reading about. These are happening like within a day or two of each other, these events, the spies being sent out, what happened at Rahab's place, the spies coming back. This is all like within a week. You know, this is your day planner for the week. These are things happening rapidly and together. And so on this particular day, early in the morning, and then after three days, the leaders go through the camp, and they tell the people, these 12 tribes, when you you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests move out, you're going to move out after them. Now, we know in the wilderness wandering, there is an order of events how the people are supposed to move, right? Like each tribe the three tribes from the east, the north, the south, and the west, they would all move sequentially, and they all had their assigned placement, so it would seem that we still have that assigned placement one more time to go across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Of course, it'll never be the same after that. There's going to be like, no more manna, right? They're not going to be eating manna anymore. It's going to be a whole new thing, unlike anything they've ever experienced before. It's also noteworthy when they're looking at the Jordan River that the river is swollen right now. And they're not just like a few people trying to get across, like two spies fording the river. <laughs> There's still a million people. Even the two and a half tribes that are staying on this side, the men, excuse me, the women and the children, there's still over a million people. There are a million people. Like, that's a lot of people. Picture a Harvest Crusade. That's 50,000 people coming out of Anaheim Stadium. Now, just multiply that, you know, over and over and over again. And all those people are there on this side of the Jordan, looking at Jericho on that side of the Jordan. Everyone's in Jericho looking over at them, terrified of them. And there's a river that's a natural barrier. We know like in all those European wars between the French and the Prussians and the Germans and all those people, 
the Rhine is a natural barrier. World War I, World War II, the Rhine River is a huge natural barrier for uh, boundaries. And we see this so often in war where rivers become almost like a, a wall to protect you. The enemy has to ford a river. And so the people of Jericho would be thinking like, they're terrified, but these people still got to come across that river when it's overflowing in the springtime. And if you're Israelites, you're like, we still got to get across this river. Like, how are we going to get across this river? Like, are we going to go all the way north from the Sea of Galilee and come back around? Like, how's this going to happen? But it, like so often is for all of us when we're living by faith, it's just one day at a time, and you can't look at the circumstances. You just have to stay in the moment with what the Lord showing you to do on that day. And on this day, they got up early. Joshua got up early. And for three days, they're there. And then now the, the leaders go through the camp and say, this was going to happen. So they know the next thing. Let's think about this. What is the next thing? We've been asking ourselves that a lot the last couple of years in general. And maybe personally, with all how we've been stretched and all the things we've been through, like say you're a restaurant owner or you own a small business in America or even in Russia for that matter, with all the COVID stuff and all these different things, like we, we may say it more like pessimistically, like oh, what's going to happen next? But really, if you frame it properly, it's like, well, what's the next thing? Because the next thing's the next thing, and for me personally, you personally, and as a church, we just need to figure out what's the next thing that God has for us as we're going forward in unknown circumstances, in our society, in our personal lives, and all these changes that are going on around us. So I, I really see immediate application, because they're facing an unknown, a great unknown. They're looking at a swollen river that's the biggest obstacle to the next thing. But the next thing isn't getting through the river. No, no, that, that's chapter four. The next thing is preparing to cross the river. And the first thing that is going to happen before they cross the river is to follow the Ark of the Covenant, which, of course, represents the presence of the Lord among them. Remember, in the wilderness wandering, there's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And the Ark of the Covenant really represents the Lord, the Lord's presence among them. And so what the, the Lord is saying through Joshua and through these leaders, hey, follow the Lord. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Follow the Lord. In an uncertain time where each day is a whole new adventure of unknown, in their case, they're actually going to war. Don't get in front of the Lord. Don't get worked up by things you see that God that are God's problems for your tomorrow. Like Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, sufficient are the things for today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Don't worry about the swollen Jordan River and how you're going to get across that river. Sufficient are the things for today. Today is know your encampment and know what to do when the priests take the Ark of the Covenant and start moving. The next thing is follow the priest, the Levites, and the Ark of the Covenant. That is the next thing you're going to do. So wait on the Lord. Just wait on the Lord. Enjoy the day. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your husband, your children. Enjoy whatever it is the Lord has called you to put your hand to. Do today. Wait on the Lord. Be in the moment. And watch one thing. The next thing you need to be aware of is when those priests get up, grab that Ark of the Covenant, and start moving out. That's just wait on the Lord and watch the next thing. Take it easy, rest in the Lord, wait on the Lord, and watch. And then once the priests come and that Ark moves, then you move. Do not get in front of the Lord. Do not fret about what you don't know and have no control over and what's awaiting you tomorrow. Stay in the moment. Wait on the Lord. 
watch the priest, and when they move, and when they move three football fields in front of you, then you move. It's the length is about three football fields. Sort of like if you walk on the beach bike path in Huntington, or ride your bike, or electric bike, that's pretty much 17th Street to Golden West on the bike path, those two lights. Or 9th Street, we used to call it Taco Bell Reef, where the Taco Bell used to be, to 17th Street. It's like three football fields. Just wait. Hey, hey, honey, the priests are moving. Look, hey, there's Eliezer. Wow, okay. It's, it's go time. It's show time. It's, it's, it's time. Here we go. We've been waiting. It's, it's, things are happening. Things are moving. The priests are stirring. The Marites, the Kohathites. Things, things are happening right now. Okay, everyone wake up. Get ready. Okay, remember, everyone got your, you know, got your travel partner, right? That kind of thing. Like, let's, let's get ready. Let's do this. And there they go. But just because they're going, don't run behind them real quick. God says, let them get in front of you the length of three football fields because you don't know where you're going. So make sure you let the Lord lead with appropriate space so you don't get lost on the way and presume where the Lord's taking you. Give the Lord space to lead you because you're going where you've never been before. And to me, this really is a great application for us. We've had a number of people move out of state, obviously. We have, and we're not alone. Uh, Calvary Costa Mesa's had lots of people move out of state. A lot of them are, some are moving to Vero Beach, Florida, where my, half my family lives. People are moving all over the place. There's massive migrations going on all over our country and really all over the world right now. And as I think about when we would move, my wife and I, when we moved from Vista to Virginia, the Lord made it clear we we're supposed to move to Virginia. And he led us to where he wanted us to be, not Charlottesville, but Virginia Beach. And then when we were called to move to Vermont, we wait on the Lord. We put signs out there for him to confirm, sell our house in a bad market. All these things at the time, who can even remember such a thing, right? Sell your house in a bad market. <laughs> when interest rates were 9%, right? And the mortgage was like 750, right? That was a long time ago. But that was the sign. Sell your house in a bad market, then you go. And that's exactly what the Lord did. We wait on the Lord. We gave him three football fields to get in front of us and confirm what was next. And then we moved to Vermont. And then the same thing when he brought us back to California, when he brought us to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Wait on the Lord. Don't sign that contract with Billabong. The closer I got to signing that three-year deal to run their program, I just, no, I was 100 yards. I had one football field between me and the Lord. I needed to give him three football fields. And when he got three football fields in front of me, the Lord's like, don't sign that deal with Billabong. I got something different for you. Don't worry about your mortgage. Don't worry about this. And then Brian Broderson called and said, hey, I'm coming back to California. I'd like you to come on staff with me and Pastor Chuck. You got to give God time, especially when we're going where we've not been before. And he might take you somewhere you didn't think you're going. In December 1999, right before Y2K, and many of you remember how that uncertainty was hanging over all of us with Y2K. It was going to be the end of the world. All the computers were going to go haywire. It was going to be rise of the machines, you know, like Terminator or something. And we were terrified, and Chuck said, Pastor Chuck said, the lights won't even flicker, right? And what happened? The lights didn't even flicker. But we're all concerned. And I had felt by the autumn of 99 that I was supposed to be back in full-time ministry, 
but I tried to manufacture this thing. I tried to manufacture that thing. And I just said, forget it all. And I just waited on the Lord. And I was going to do the billabong deal. And God said, don't do the billabong deal. Just wait on me. And then there it was. I gave notice of billabong. I'm never doing that. Thank you. And then Brian Brodson calls a few days later. I would have never thought in my wildest imagination in November of 99 that I'd be going on staff with Pastor Chuck Smith in January of 2000. But that's exactly what happened. We need to give God space. We need to let him get three football fields ahead of us and make very clear where we're going. Because we only need faith for the next step, but we need to know which direction that next step is, ideally. Now, you can take a one step in the wrong direction and realize that, and then just, you know, back up the car and reboot. But still, the idea here is like, God is saying to them, not me, this is God saying to them, you give me three football fields of length, and then you'll know. Because he says that you may know the way by which you must go, for you've not passed this way before. Who knows where God's taking us individually in the future, in ways that we've never been before, in new adventures of faith, because we're called to live by faith. So who knows where he's taking us where we've never been before? And who knows where he's taking us as a church where we've never been before in our 17th year in this building? Who knows where he's taking the Calvary Chapel movement where we've never been before? Who knows where he's taking the church in 2021 where we've never been before on a global level? The world's got to grope in the dark to figure out what they're doing, but not the church. We get to rest in the Lord and trust in the Lord and just let him get three football fields in front of us and wait on the Lord and let him show us what he has for us next. Think of all the people that had to redo their business models, readjust their payrolls, readjust their expectations of profit loss, reevaluate their personal budgets, make decisions based upon personal convictions over forced vaccines and dreams that conflict with those forced vaccines and decide what they're going to do. One man esteems one day, another, another, they each be convinced in their own mind. Let God get three football fields in front of you so you know where you're going. That's what I think. We've got to let God get three football fields in front of us because that's what those cubits represent. 2,000 cubits is three football fields, pretty much. And maybe an extra first down. So that's what it is. So the next thing is to wait on the Lord and let him clearly lead us in the next decision and direction and not run ahead because I do feel like there's a temptation to run ahead of the Lord a lot of people are panicked right now and I think we're not always thinking clear and straight when we're that way there's a time to move with urgency but as the coach great coach John Wooden said never in a hurry John Wooden you say basketball say move quickly but not in a hurry. And there is a difference between those two things. And I really believe we're in a season for us as a church family, but I think really the body of Christ in America, we need to just keep our eyes on Jesus and let him get three football fields in front of us for decisions we're making in our personal life, in church leadership, in the body of Christ. And not get baited and get all worked up over things because the Jordan River is swollen when God's going to part that river anyways. Just stay in the moment, stay in the day, and let God lead us. Give space for clarity. 
give space for vision, give space for confirmation in our personal lives, and especially give God space for new things he wants to do to take us where we've never been before. And that is the context of application in these first four verses. Now I pick it up in verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the ark and the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark and the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know the living God is among, among us and among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into Jordan into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the Lord, And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the water which came down from upstream stood still, and it rose in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, they failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho, Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So here we get another miraculous crossing that God has brought about. As God parted the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt, now he parts the Jordan River as they go into the Promised Land. God does miracles to bring us out of the world, and he does miracles to bring us into the kingdom. And we'll end up with that a little bit later on as we wrap up chapter 4 later tonight. But they crossed over on dry ground just like when they went through the Red Sea. So, of course, it's supernatural work. It's God working supernaturally through his people of covenant back then. How he chooses to work supernaturally through us now is what we're interested in. And we take faith and encouragement from this. Now, he said a couple things to get our attention. First of all, verse 5, sanctify yourselves. It is always a good idea when there's a great unknown in front of us, as we always taught our kids, you you need to really sharpen your focus. The higher the stakes, the more important it is to be crisp and sharp and focused for what you're going into. If you're praying about what college you're going to go to, you're serious about proposing to marry this person or accept that proposal or big decisions, it's, it's really important to sanctify yourself, to really be set apart, not just to self-reflect as the world would do. But to sanctify ourselves to the Lord as unto the Lord, to be set apart to the Lord and really be clear of noise and distractions and to be really sharp in the Lord. I was reading something about World War I that I found fascinating in my books on the dreadnoughts and all the battleships 
that America had and the British and, of course, the Germans. But the submarine warfare in World War I, the, the German U-boats, they, they almost turned the war. They, they had all out, all out war. Uh, 1918, when they just released the U-boats to sink every merchant ship, every vessel, and it was Britain was about to have to surrender. It would have been a totally different world we live in right now, those German U-boats, those submarines. But the British had developed the sonar to hear the submarines because before you couldn't see them. But they had, uh, the technology wasn't developed enough that the problem was they could, if their ship was still, their battleship or their cruisers, they could stop and they could hear the thump, 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 thump of the, of the German U-boat, the submarine, but they could only hear it when their ship was turned off. That's how I like to hear the Lord. I like to be totally still and hear the Lord that way, where I just hear the, 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 the Lord. But what they, had to, what they had to do in real-time war is they still had to hear the submarines when the ships were moving. You can't just stop because then you're a dead duck in the water with the German U-boats. So they had to get better in their technology at hearing the U-boats while their own cruisers and battleships and indeed flotillas were traveling together at their dreadnought battleships through the North Sea there. They, they had to develop the technology where they could hear the submarine U-boats even over the noise of their own battleship. That's how we have to be. Because we can't stop Orange County from making noise. There's a lot of noise in our lives in Orange County. So we can't just all go up to Green Valley, which Calvary doesn't even own anymore, I don't think. Somewhere, Mount Baldy, Big Bear. We all can't just go climb a hill and sit there all day long to hear from the Lord. We live in a very noisy place. There's so much noise. And we have to eliminate the noise. We have to sanctify ourselves and hear clearly the frequency of the Lord speaking. Because he is a still small voice. So we have to train ourselves in the noise of our own world to hear the still small voice of the king from his world. And the higher the stakes are, the bigger our decisions are, the more important it is that we know that frequency. We need to know that frequency. If we're changing jobs and selling homes and moving to out of state or moving back to California or whatever we're doing, or we're going we're gonna to die on that hill and give up our job on that hill, we need to know the voice. We need to know. We need to be sanctified. If I'm an NFL Tier 1 coach and I quit my job because I'm not going to take a forced vaccine, I need to know that I have a peace about that with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God be true and every man a liar. People are making very difficult decisions right now based upon their livelihoods and government-enforced stuff. It's very divisive. So we need to know the pup, 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 or the Lord's voice in the midst of all the other noises so we can each make the decision that we believe is the right decision for us in our walk with the Lord. And I thought last July, last summer, who's sufficient for these things? And now I sit here in July 2021, I think, no, that was like Spanish 101 in college. This is Spanish 102 in college. This is a whole nother level. If you thought last year was weird, this is even way weirder. So we need to know we need to sanctify ourselves and be set apart that we're really prepared for whatever is in our uncertain future that God is taking us and moving us toward. In general, as the church in the world, specifically this church locally, citizens of California and this church and individuals in our own homes and lives, We need to sanctify ourselves. 
Then he said in verse 7, I'm going to exalt you. Everyone to know it's your time and you're the leader. I like that. God says, I'm going to prove to them I'm with you. Then Joshua tells them, look, you need to know God's going to do this. He's going to give you signs that he's going to confirm he's the living God among you. The people, you got to always live by faith. They had to live by faith. They got to the edge of the promised land by faith. And they got to have, they got to find another level of faith when they go in. But then we get this interesting phrase here in verse 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. This, the wording here is very interesting, and it should get our attention. The water wasn't going to be cut off until they put their feet in the water. It's kind of like Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail, right? Like, remember that scene, if you ever saw that third one where the 80s people were, he, it's, a, it's a code about faith, and you're looking down this chasm, and the only, you have to take the step of faith into the unknown. You have to take the step of faith. And we have to take the next step of faith. We're not going forward by what we know, other than the faithfulness of the Lord, which is what we do know. We're saved by faith, we're justified by faith, and we walk by faith. So in our personal lives, and in this church, and in the body of Christ in America and worldwide, the next thing that's the right thing for the church to do, morally, in obedience to the Great Commission, the Word of God, it's going to always involve faith. It's not going to be dry and dead. It's going to be and static. It's going to be living and moving and fluid. We got to step right up to the water. We got to walk right up to that swollen Jordan River and follow. We got to let the Lord lead us to that, to the impossible, and give him three football fields and let him do it. And the obedient ones, the priests who are serving the Lord, as these human beings touched the water, the water would then part. It didn't part when they were one step back. It parted when they were one step forward. So even as there's a time to wait on the Lord and give the Lord three football fields, 17th Street to Golden West on PCH, there's also a time when you take those steps forward and you're looking at that river like, how are we going to do this? But this is the next thing. you got to step into that water. And it'll part when you step into it. It's kind of like Peter getting out of the boat. you got to get out of the boat to walk on the water. And if you're the priest, you've got to step into the water to part the water. We've got to put ourselves, and God's going to put us, put us in these places where it's impossible for us to do it, and we have to look to him. So whether it's the storms and the high waves around Peter and keeping your eyes on Jesus or keeping your eyes on the priest as they touch the water and it splits, either way, we got to go forward. And you've got to go forward in faith. Our confidence is not in men. And our strength is not in being frustrated by men. Our confidence in the Lord and our strength is in following him, three football fields behind, and stepping in the water when that's the next step forward. We can't be intimidated by the water. It's the next, he's the God of the miraculous. And that step forward of faith as William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's that that's step. you got to touch the water. Me, I prefer to just like see, I, I prefer to see it open up and then go through. But sometimes just, the Lord's like, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. They weren't cut off until that step of faith happened. The miraculous did not happen until the step of faith took place. 
That's a powerful truth in this story. The waters were, of course, cut off farther upstream. A swollen river, like, how do you cut that off? And, like, where's all that water go? That's God's business. But it does say the last verse of the chapter says, verse 17, they all crossed over on dry ground, and they all completely crossed the Jordan. Now we read on in verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and lead them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you shall take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So now we have the memorial stones. We see this in the Bible quite often. The Ebenezer stone and Samuel and here these Stones, memorial stones, we actually see that there was two sets of them, one that Joshua set up in the river itself and the 12 that were set up on the promised land side, the west side of the Jordan River. The number 12, of course, it's 12 apostles, gets my, excuse me, 12 tribes gets my attention, but I like how Joshua sent out two spies who brought back a good rapport, but he did choose one man from each of the 12 tribes to pick up a stone but it wasn't a test. See, when the 12 spies were sent out 38 years before, Joshua and Caleb being two of them to spy out the land to bring back a report, that was a test. But for these 12, this isn't a test. This is not a test. This is just simply a responsibility to represent their tribe, pick up the stone that's a memorial for future generations. It's not, it's not a test. It's actually an act of obedience. And so they're each getting one of the 12 stones, and it's a sign when your children ask you in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? And it shall be a memorial, verse 7, to the children of Israel forever. We need memorials. We do. We, we need memorials. We need memorials. We need, we need things that are legacies of faith that we pass on to our children. When the Olympics opening ceremony happened the other night, I was... On a personal note, rather stunned that the American surfers chose not to walk in the opening ceremony. Now, it's not uncommon for athletes, of course, who are competing on day one of the Olympics to not walk in the opening ceremony because they're competing the next day. It's not that uncommon, right? We know that. And we also know, like, to carry the flag is a big responsibility. And there's, a, there's an article I read about flag bearers for nations that you, you actually carry that flag for, like, three, four hours when the whole thing unfolds. So if you're competing the next day or two, that might affect your strength, especially if you have to use your arms in your form of competition, that that could be a factor. But of course, it's the greatest honor ever to carry the flag for your country. I mean, seriously, what could be a greater honor as an athlete to carry the flag for your country in the Olympics? You don't just need to go to the Olympics. These aren't participation baseballs in um, T-ball league or AOSO soccer. Like, you earn your way to the Olympics in all sports now. You can't just show up 
and say, I'm from a really small country and we're really poor, but I'm going to compete in this. You just can't do that. You still qualify. I was so happy to see four surfers carrying the flags for their nations on the opening ceremony. Isn't that amazing? Like, if you know surfing, like, to really think, like, the sport of surfing, first time in the Olympics, four surfers were carrying their flags. Now, the surfers didn't compete on the next day. They competed on the following day. So the opening ceremony was Friday night, Tokyo. Surfing began on Sunday. It was doable. Now, the Americans were on the coast of Chiba by the beach, which is about, without traffic, an hour drive from the village, Olympic Village. And a lot of my friends, what they call the Latin Surf Mafia, those guys like Manuel Selman from Chile, they were staying in the Olympic Village. So they got the full experience in the Olympic Village. They walked, they marched in the opening ceremony. And my point isn't about whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing. I have a saying, though, right, when you talk about legacy, I always ask myself, what am I going to regret more? That I did walk in the opening ceremonies at the Olympics for the first time service in the Olympics, or that I didn't? Like, we're old enough to know when you look back 20 years later, say, what, what am I inclined to remember most or regret most? But then I, I don't, I'm not, it's, I gave that right up two years ago when I resigned as a coach of the Olympic surf team. So that's for them to figure out. But the one thing that got my attention was um, uh, Ramsey Bokam from Morocco, really good surfer. He was chosen as the flag bearer for his nation in Morocco. Moderate Muslim nation, right? North Africa, former French territory. Very Euro-friendly, so very westernized. And he carried the flag. And I watched this surfer from Morocco come in the opening ceremony carrying that Moroccan flag. And I, I was so happy for him. He surfed extremely well, too. He, he made it to the round of 16. He surfed really well. But he said something that really stood out to me. In the spirit of the Olympics, but I think the body of Christ. So stay with me on this one. He said, 80 years from now, when I'm gone, my children's children's children will remember that I carried that flag as an Olympic athlete for my country, as a surfer in the opening ceremonies. What he essentially said is, there'll be a legacy in my family forever that Ramz Bokom carried the Moroccan flag in the 2020 Olympics in the opening ceremony. And that for surfing. Now, remember, the Lord showed me three years ago, do you want to go for the gold that perishes or the gold that's eternal? It's your choice. And I resigned the U.S. surf team. And I'm watching all this. I'm like, I could have never done this. It's too stressful. <laughs> I'm so glad that I, I can't, I can't, I want, I want to go outside. I couldn't even watch. I was so nervous. I was like, I can't, I can't watch, I can't watch it. You know, like, it's like Chargers in the playoffs. I just can't watch it. I go outside or something. But when Ramsey said that, I thought, you know, that's how, that's how highly esteemed something like the Olympics is for people in the world that get it. How much more is esteemed the body of Christ and the gold we run for that's eternal? See, he wants to leave a legacy for his family that they'll remember when he's long gone from planet Earth what he did in the spirit of the Olympics. Or as Paul the Apostle said, nothing against Ramsey or surfing, the crown that perishes. We, in this place, in Jesus' name, we run for an imperishable crown. And we thus buffet ourselves and we run to win. We're not, we don't just run to participate. We, we, we really do go for the gold in Jesus' name. The cross is not about participation uniforms. 
The cross is about coming from victory, going for victory. Paul the Apostle, the Holy Spirit tells us, we go for gold. We run to win. And in running to win, our legacy is for the king. So when we think about memorial stones, as beautiful as a photo will be of great, great uncle Ramsey Bukam to his family, and that's a beautiful legacy. How much greater is the legacy of the 12 stones that we build in the traditions of our family and the legacy we're leaving our spouse, if we're married, our children, and our children's children. See, that photo of a flag in the opening ceremony would be something really, really special. But your life of faith, touching the water and watching it part, is way more special. Our waiting for the Lord to get three football fields in front of us is way more special. Our little acts of obedience to become lifetimes of obedience is way more special. Our losing our job because we stood for our faith and convictions is way more special than any photo of the passing glories of men that come and go in every generation. See, the real Olympic glory is like Eric Little, who said, by the convictions of my faith, I will not run on Sunday. And when the king called him in the king's room and said, you will run on Sunday, he said, no, I will not, because I have a higher king. And Eric Little ran on a Tuesday, a race that's not even his race, and he won the Olympic gold. And then he went back to being a missionary in China, and he died in a Japanese internment camp with a brain tumor serving all the Western prisoners in that internment camp in his early 40s after sending his wife and his children back to the United Kingdom. That's our pillars of stone. That's our chariots of fire. See, our stones are not their stones. Our stones are eternal. Our pillars are Ebenezer stone. These are pillars. These are memorials. They're eternal pillars for our children and our children's children and children's children. And whether they, our adult children walk in our faith or reject our faith, we still leave the legacy of that faith. They, we still leave a pile of stones that said, Mom, Dad, our grandparents, our grandparents, they served Jesus Christ. I have the Bibles from 100 years ago on my bookshelf from those that came before me, as I've shared. I have the Bibles from 100 years ago of my ancestors that read the Word of God. And I'm leaving way more Bibles. You can give them up between 20 grandkids. I got so many Bibles because I change my Bible every two years when I go through it. Now, Miss Jennifer's Bibles will be more valuable because she takes her time like she is, and she goes through her Bibles, and there's about five of them from 30 years. They're, they're like, whoa, like those are going to be really special when they get divvied up. What pillars and memorials and 12 stones are we leaving because that's a good question for the age of this congregation. This is a really good application for us. Do we feel good about the, the 12 stones? When our children, adult children, our grandchildren look at us, do we feel good about the display of the memorial that we're letting God build in our life? Do we feel good about what they're seeing from our life? Our best moment, our worst moment? There's always the worst moment. But our best moment? Our 12 stones are so much more than framed photos, and those are beautiful. Our, our 12 stones 
is a living faith that's a testimony of the living God working in our lives as we've lived out our faith. That's our 12 stones. And they will, they'll speak when we're gone. That it may be a sign among you when children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? And children will come. People will come. Your life is a legacy, whether you have children or grandchildren or not. Your life is a legacy. People will come. And even if they don't, our life is a memorial that's played out before the Lord when the Lamb's book of life is opened up and our works are tested by fire. Even if you had no children or no children's children, but you had, you applied like Pastor Chuck's book, Effective Prayer Life, that first book I read as a believer, and you change the world with your prayers, and you take that list out there of the people we've supported financially and in prayer around the world. That's your pillar in the secret and the quiet place. As we're going through Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get to where Jesus says, you do this in secret, you do this in secret, you do this in secret, and your Father will award you openly. There's all kinds of pillars of 12 stones that we can leave the, this planet, time, space, and matter before we step into eternity. Every day of obedience, that memorial gets stronger and that testimony takes on greater value and greater equity. Do not fear men. Build a memorial and let it stand in future generations. Verse 8. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with him to the place where they lodged, laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. See, that's the second memorial in the water, out of sight, and then the other one's before all eyes. In the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there they are to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. The men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those are the eastern tribes, they crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the... About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day... The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Lord. Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry ground, the dry land, that the waters, the Jordan, returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, Where are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which you dried up before us until we crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So they did it. They crossed over. And then the priest stepped back, and all that water came back downstream, and the river overflowed again. 
And what dread there must have been in Jericho to see all those people come across miraculously. But see, our God carries us in our journey miraculously. As I start out saying, I end saying tonight now that our salvation is a miracle. The second birth, faith in Jesus Christ, is a supernatural work. We cannot save ourselves. We are saved by grace through faith according to grace. It's a supernatural work. We can't make ourselves born again. Like Nicodemus, we can't go back in our mother's womb. It has to be a supernatural work. Our deliverance from the power of the grave, our deliverance from the power of Satan, our deliverance from the power of sin is a supernatural work. It's a miracle that we're born again and the Spirit indwells us. Like the Spirit was over the Ark of the Tabernacle, now the Spirit's in us. Our body is the temple of the Lord. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. And he who begun a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete that work. And as he brought us out of Egypt, the world, he's going to bring us into the promised land. He's going to get us across that Jordan. There's a lot of songs about getting across the Jordan in church history. He's going to get us across the Jordan. And he's going to get us there. He's going to raise us from the grave. Just as a miracle gives us a second birth, we need a miracle to raise us up. We can't make this mortal put on immortality, this corruptible put on incorruptible, this terrestrial take on celestial. We can't do that. When we breathe our last, we breathe our last, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. But the miracle is Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he's going to come for us, and he's going to raise us up. And if he hasn't from the body, it'll be present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is good for you that I'm here, but it's better that I'm gone. That's the miracle, that we're going to be in glory. So don't fret the kingdoms of men. We keep our eyes on the kingdom of the Lord. This is all time, space, and matter and the promised land. But even as they cross over from the east side to the west side, we're going to cross over from time, space, and matter to a whole other dimension, eternity, the new heaven, the new earth, all the glory. And he's going to see us through. So we just keep our eyes on him and we keep taking steps of faith and we, we, we leave a testimony. And by the way, this testimony that we talked about, what is that testimony? That the Lord did it. That the Lord did a miracle. You see, that's the testimony. Those rocks are testimony that the Lord did a miracle in our lives. Coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. What he brought us from and took us to, it's all a miracle. And that's the testimony of the stones for future generations. So really our testimony that we leave our children, our children's children in humanity, is that the Lord delivered me. And he brought me to his purposes. He saved me from my sins and he sanctified me for his calling and his purposes in my life. And that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So put that over your memorial stones. People look at your life now and in future generations and say, it's all a miracle. The hand of the Lord is mighty and we see the mighty Lord upon the lives of these people who left these memorial stones to us. Such a glorious journey serving the Lord. The hand of the Lord that is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Yep, so don't fear anybody else or anything else. One day at a time, three football fields, touch the water, let it rip. Sounds like a coach, huh? (laughs) Ours is eternal crown.